With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, mamas. Am I suddenly super buff? No. It is the fact that I'm wearing my 13-year-old taco cat shirt because we're diving into my 14-year-old book that I wrote. Yet another vlogger's book by Ben D. Almeida. That's me. So we read um, about half of it last episode. If you haven't seen that, definitely go watch that before this. Um, <laughs> I've taken some time to think about what I read. Feeling scared, okay? Feeling very scared to continue with this story. So uh, just a little recap. The first kind of um, half of the book was talking about my experience on YouTube. Uh, this was my channel back when I had like, I think 300 subscribers and pretty much no success was to be found with my channel. And I was very bitter about it, as you could tell in the book. And then there was kind of like a fun, satirical, like information guide on like how to become a YouTuber. And um, also very bitter. But we have found ourselves in the second half of the book where it's it, it it's a fictional story about a, a YouTube employee that's discovering something really weird going on. Um, he's his job is to deliver papers and collect paperwork, but then he finds out that he well he didn't find out he got hit by a car in the parkade of the YouTube headquarters, and then he goes to the psychiatrist at YouTube and was like, "Hey, I just got hit by a car," and the psychiatrist runs out of the room and he's like, what? And then it turns the psychiatrist hit him with the car. And when he finds that out, he goes into this room and the walls start closing and they break space and time because he throws objects and they go through the wall, but he can't push the wall and he thinks it's going to crush them. But then he uses palm trees to hold it together so he doesn't die. So that's, oh, and then he teleports to the surface of the sun, falls through space and lands at his house. So that's where we're at right now. <laughs> we're going to just get right into it. Um, this is, and, and we'll, uh, I'll, I'll put some interjections throughout and also, um, at the very end, we'll kind of discuss what the hell we just read. So let's get into it. This is lies part two. Much to your surprise, you remember everything as you wake up. You literally jump out of bed and take some 10 anaphrona pills and fall right back asleep. You reckon it'll be easier for YouTube to fire you as an intern than having to go there and quit. Eventually, they will realize that you aren't showing up anymore and they might call a few times, but you'll let it go to voicemail. There's just one problem. Since you somehow teleported to the sun and then to your earth, you left your car at the office. As much as you love your little Toyota, the thought of going near that parkade repels and disgusts you. You decide on taking the bus there at noon, grabbing your car and getting the hell out of Dodge with your Toyota. 
You spend the morning as usual watching cartoons, despite traveling to the Earth's closest star and having six phantom limbs. You boil some water and make orange pico tea in your favorite mug. It is rendered undrinkable unless you take your two-liter glass bucket, fill it to the brim with water, microwave it for three seconds, let it cool for an hour, and then steep. You're so particular with your tea. One time, you only let it cool for 15 minutes, and you burnt your tongue. It was horrible, and you screamed and cried all day. However, you've learned from your mistakes and used them to prosper in your new, in your new tea adventures. With your recent luck, it didn't surprise you that the ground began to shake from an earthquake that started off as a soft tremble and quickly jumped to a full roar. After a few seconds of chaos, it somehow intensifies and objects begin to fall, slide, unhinge, and break. Your tea falls from your coffee table and you catch it with your left hand. Your Wii remote sensor falls up. Interjection. Why would I still be using a Wii? Sorry. I, I just had to say it. Your Wii remote sensor falls off the top of the TV and you catch it with your right hand. Amidst the chaos, your phantom limbs come back, but this time they're real. Your poster of Lana Del Rey falls, but you press it against the wall with one of your new hands. One of the wooden legs on your coffee table pops up, but you hold the rest up. As the shaking stops, you realize you are now doing four different tasks with four different hands at the same time. Then the arms vanish. The table falls and the poster falls away. You set your tea down and set the Wii remote sensor back on top of the TV. Your mind is so overloaded that it just goes over your head and you continue watching cartoons. Just out of curiosity, you check the local news to see the magnitude of the quake, but it's not on their website. You finish your tea and check Twitter. Still nothing. You want your answer now, so you go to various earthquake tracker sites and apps, and it's like radio silence. The past 24 hours have seriously made you question your sanity, so you completely ignore it, block it from your mind, and do dishes. It is now 11.42 a.m., and you promised yourself that you would pick up your car at noon. You rummage around your house and find one bus ticket underneath some newspapers. You throw on a sweater and some sweatpants and have a quick glass of water. Miss Obama says you should. The walk to the bus stop is minuscule, and you catch the bus, but as soon as you arrive, the bus driver looks borderline suicidal, but so does everyone else on the bus. You take a seat next to an elderly lady with a pink hat like the queen. You don't enjoy music and can't stand headphones, so you look out the window and at the palm trees that saved your life. After seven minutes, you arrive at the YouTube headquarters. It's insanely busy as always. You never really made friends at your in internship, so you can almost appear, appear incognito in the offices. Even your boss won't even know you're gone. Perhaps he won't realize for long enough and it'll give you the letter of the referral that you took the internship for in the first place. The lawn in the offices is beautifully tender too. There are lilacs all around the path and hedges cut into various geometric shapes. There are many abstract seating areas so that employees can work outside but in the shade. They try to be like Google's main headquarters, but it's a little more ordinary. Your car's sitting in your stall still. You kind of feel bad for it. It was a car your mom gave you when you were 16 because she bought an SUV. You drove it all the way up to all the way from Canada to California when you got the internship. There was no way you could leave it in the home. You don't waste time. Considering the shit show that took place yesterday, you start the car, plug your phone into the aux cord, turn on Mozart, and drive out of there. You don't feel any remorse leaving because you never really have in your life since 
it's only midday, you decide going you decide on going to a movie to kill some time. You really don't know what you're going to do now that you basically lost your green card in America. One of the last things you can do before you get evicted from your lovely apartment is enjoy some American food so you can go to Target and pick up some Cheez-Its to smuggle into the movie. You pull up to the parking lot to a local theater. Not one of those massive chain theaters that have st- not one of those massive chain theaters that have sticky floors from spilled pop and crunchy seats from spilled popcorn. When you go to a movie, you like to buy a ticket with your eyes closed and try and hide what movie you're seeing from yourself until you actually have to find which theater it's in. There's limited things left that bring you enjoyment ever since you moved out. You've been pretty lonely, so you like to play games with yourself, like switching around pen caps so the colors are mixed up. The movie starts, and it turns out it's some Adam Sandler movie. You leave halfway through and go to your car to eat the snacks that you forgot to eat in the theater. You always get white cheddar flavor as it's superior to all the other cheddars. Your mom used to turn on NPR radio to your satellite radio and listen to it together. It was kind of like CBC, but more interesting. They're talking about quantum mechanics or something. It was never relevant or interesting to you, and now especially not considering the circumstances. As you stare at the last of the Cheez-Its you may ever eat, you feel gloomy. The whole dream of living in the States is failing, and you're probably going to get deported. American dream. For a country as envious as America, you wonder why they make it so effing hard to get in. Perhaps the true crime is not undocumented immigrants, but rather America flaunting its gorgeous cities, fun lifestyle, and attractive celebrities while the rest of the world sits around with boredom or poverty. When you finish ranting to yourself, you start the car and begin to head home. As you leave the parking lot, everyone is just getting out of the movie that you just abandoned. You kind of feel like a crappy person for leaving because you were bored. You always had a policy not to abandon things and stick with it for the long run. The theater's only a few minutes from your house. You just have to turn left on Hickory Avenue and then... Turn left on Hickory Avenue? As you turn into your street, the same street you drove on is recreated right in front of you, again and again in an infinite loop. You look behind you and see the street you just drove down like a mirror image. Somehow it recreates slower and slower with less to drive on in front of you. While with nothing but a void in the distance, you turn left, but there's nothing to turn into. Your car's momentum instantly stops, your neck whipping your head forward and glass shattering in complete coordination. Back in Canada, you would have woken up in the hospital, had a sigh of relief, and then went back to sleep. However, you drove illegally all this time. You never bought any health insurance, and you have 13 bone fractures, according to the doctor looming over you. This will put you on the streets, there's no doubt about that. Maybe even your mother, too. You would sell your car, but it's probably totaled, and you don't even know if your apartment exists. You decide that the deep web probably doesn't need crippled webcam models, so that income source is out of the picture. The doctor's begging you to get some rest. What a joke. How are you supposed to lay down for a soft nap when there's fifty grand when when there's a fifty grand hospital bill on the first day? Your lung was punctured, so you really don't feel like talking at all. Hell is real and it exists in your brain. What could be worse than bedridden and helpless pain mixed with unavoidable contemplation on your own mortality and the fabric of space itself? You wake up again. You don't even know how you fell asleep again. 
The doctor has a typical clipboard and lopsided frown as he reads all the broken bones you have. Then he says, We found something else. You make a gargling noise as you haven't spoken at all in a few days and also ruptured a lung. It was there before the accident. Have you had any infections or felt ill recently? Aside from the plethora of mental illnesses and issues you have, you nod horizontally. You've contracted encephalitis. There's inflammation of your brain. It's specifically on your frontal lobe, occipital lobe, and pons. You failed 8th grade science. What the hell is the doctor trying to prove? You may have experienced hallucinations, paranoia, unexplained fear. Does any of this sound accurate? Well, it felt pretty goddamn real. It's usually not quite serious as long as you use medication, which I'm going to prescribe you for. You can't feel or move a single limb from your broken bones and can't see why this takes priority. You nod in quick agreement to get the doctor out of the room. As soon as you rest up, you should be out in about four months. Positive thoughts. As he leaves, you contemplate spitting at him, but you realize that you won't, that won't get you anywhere. There's no godforsaken way you can stay in this germ hole for that long. The hospital bill will literally be in the millions without your insurance. You have to leave somehow. You obviously can't leave considering you broke a femur and multiple ribs. You only have your phone, which will most likely soon have its plan canceled. You panic over the next few hours and try many things, hoping at least one will work. You downloaded a Tor browser on your phone and went on the deep web to find someone who will break you out. You texted hundreds of family and step members asking them to sign for you. Instead of just saying yes, most of them freaked out and cried, oh my god, I'm on the next flight over, or already were. At the end of the second day of hell, you decide to go on Craigslist. You watched Craigslist Joe on Netflix last year and it seemed pretty legit. Hell, you almost got run over this weekend, so if Craigslist Joe turns out to be a killer, the third time is the charm and it's probably your time. As the nurse comes in to ask if you want any any special foods for $1.90 extra, you realize there's a TV in your room. You ask her if she can turn on the TV. She says it's $40 a day, but you're drowning in so much shit that $40 really doesn't matter. God forbid you miss your morning cartoons. She brings over papers for you to sign for the TV, and then the two boxes on. You watch Maury for a little bit and then doze off somehow. When you wake up the next morning, you check the Snapchat Discover page and check your email as always. You have an email from credit card companies and PayPal saying that they've canceled your services. It's understandable considering you're now in thousands of dollars of hospital bill debt. There's an email from Uber saying you have an unpaid ride from the YouTube offices to your house. Considering that you've never used Uber, you must have managed to get a black car during your hypnotic fit. Everything is still so confusing and raw and incredibly hard to grasp. You still have no way out of the hospital. After begging the nurses and doctors to release you, you turned to various websites and services, but that proved useless. You spent your days locked in your chemical-scented room, watching cartoons in the morning and then sleeping for hours while the bills piled up. Relatives visited but didn't sign for you. You felt no improvement or change in condition. It was a limbo. Lies, part three. All hope felt lost until... About a week and a half into your hospital stay. The nurse came in for your daily checkup and told you that there was a visitor for you. She stopped mid-sentence and had a look that read, This must be a mistake, and then, It's not my job. Whatever. A few moments later, a burly man cautiously wandered in. In your Craigslist ad, you'd mentioned your hospital room number, name, and reward for a breakout. The man introduced himself as Fjord. 
you first asked like the land feature and then are you from Craigslist? He said he wasn't affiliated with the company but lives off of it as a job. He appeared strange, constantly muttering, never making eye contact, plagued with ticks. However, he was your best bet. Without any instruction, he grabbed the wheelchair in the corner of your room and gestured for you to get in it. You reluctantly get in and he wheels you away faster than the DeLorean. You whispered at him without drawing attention out of your concern on what he was doing. He silently continued to push your wheelchair down the halls on the short-term care ward. A nurse at administration asked him where he was taking you and he retorted with, I'm taking them for a walk. With the cliche, make a quick line. We were out of the building and next thing you know, we were in a white van. That was when you began to scream for help. There are probably people in the world who scan Craigslist for weaklings to prey on and then abduct them just like this man is abducting you. You find it strange how the van guy you were in had a handicapped parking tag and ramp. Did this guy get a wheelchair accessible van just for an abduction? (laughs) You give up and submit as the car is already driving away. You ask him to please stop, but he just says, shh, I'm trying to help from Craigslist. The van's windows are tinted, so you can't see where you are, and this feeling of helplessness really starts to come on. After a few minutes of crying, the van stops in what seems to be a parkade. At this time, your family's probably being notified that you're missing and arranging funeral plans. Overreacting runs in the family. However, it's not overreacting when you are continuously uttering under your breath, this is where I die, because it is. Dim light and car fumes pour in as the trunk door is opened. You're in the back of a parkade of the YouTube headquarters and are greeted by Dr. YouTube, leaning against his car that almost killed you. You cry, Dr. YouTube? And he corrects with, Dr. YouTube? I'm a doctor at YouTube. My name is Dr. Jesselston. I'm sorry for any distress this caused, and of course you don't believe him. You're given crutches, but stubbornly stay in your wheelchair. He explains the situation and then gives you a letter. As you open it, there's a deep pain and discomfort in your neck. You look down to see your hospital gown is now red and smells of iron. As you fall, Dr. Jesselston is faintly laughing. Maybe he was laughing loud, but you couldn't tell. Everything was fading away. The two men get in the van and start it. Then the van backs up closer and closer to your head. The skin tears off first as the wheel rolls on your face and then your cheekbone snaps and then nothingness as your eyeball ruptures. As you wake up, realizing that it is only the third day of the hospital stay, you quickly grab your phone from the night table. You open the Tor browser and delete every trace of your call for help from the internet. Death would probably be better than the insane hospital debt, but you don't figure it would be ideal having your skull popped by a big white van. You'll eventually get out and you'll have debt, but it'll be manageable and you won't be murdered. You turn on cartoons to slow your cheetah heart and then a few friends visit. You thank them even though you're not thankful for them spending $400 on an airplane ticket. Probably only came to go to an In-N-Out or Disneyland. After everyone leaves, you start to think of ways to pay the bills. Perhaps you could try and get some intern benefits from YouTube considering you didn't actually announce your resignation. After all, isn't Google one of the best companies? Hell, you work at YouTube and deal with people who made millions off of it constantly. Perhaps you could take your knowledge and tips that you have learned and write a book on it. It would work, but pretty much no one reads books anymore. 
You could be a YouTuber from YouTube, but you're a talentless blob of hate and self-loathing, so you figure otherwise. You already have a YouTube account from your Gmail account, so you may as well use it. Over the last few hours of the day, you go back and forth from deciding to give it a shot to deciding to buy lottery tickets. At midnight, you finally decide on making a channel. There's really nothing you could lose at this point except for your crumbling dignity. You head down to the business center of the hospital and use their Mac. You use your graphic design skills that got you the internship to make all of the basic branding required to start up. The final decision you make is what the content will be. Photoshopping is your niche, so you begin with Photoshop tutorials. Simple things like how to airbrush your Instagram pictures or how to draw anime eyes. You make two videos on those topics with some quiet commentary. Throw it together in Final Cut, Final Cut Pro, which you pirated. Upload it with a small title and overused keywords and go to bed. The next morning, you wake up to a total of four views and a dislike. Everything is set up perfectly so that it works alongside the YouTube algorithm that you learned and understood. You copy and paste the tags 1,000 more times and spend the day watching a marathon of Lost. The hours slip by episode after episode. The next time you check, you are not surprised to see that each video is at 30,000 views. You set up a direct deposit bank account to collect ad revenue from your YouTube channel. Within 48 hours, gained a fan base with small fan pages popping up on Instagram. You find it hilarious how there's fan pages for almost anything. There are people who love kiwi fruit so much that they devote their time to, into building a community with other kiwi fruit lovers to rejoice and hail the great kiwi. Your channel, Photoshop Tutorial Aronis, has a perfect level of quirk and fan potential. You now have 1,000 fans after a day of sitting in bed. You feel that in your bones. You feel that your bones have gotten a little bit stronger, yet you still have to wear all the braces. It doesn't matter what the type of videos you make. All you need is your voice and at least one good arm. With your new earnings, you have been able to pay off about 15 minutes of hospital stay. Seconds turn to hours and weeks turn to months. The recovery progress is incredibly slow, but you get through it without wanting to drive an ice pick into the back of your head. Without any surprise, your channel has grown to half a million subscribers. You have pushed out 50 mindless videos and haven't revealed your identity yet. There's a subreddit dedicated to trying to reveal your identity and address. A few have narrowed it down to the correct neighborhood you live in. However, the closest guess is still six blocks away from where your house actually is. You've racked your brain to try and figure out if the whole house hallucination fiasco was real or not. You really do hope you actually have a house. In two days' time, you plan to do a giant face reveal live stream event. It is also the day you're due to be released from the hospital. Photoshop is already installed on your computer at home, so the transition from the hospital computer to your home computer should be easy. Your plan is to make a separate vlog channel that takes advantage of the YouTube algorithm by swaying your viewers from a technical fan base to a personal fan base. Soon after, there'll be Vine edit accounts making edits of you just randomly talking to a camera. They'll probably put it to some drum and bass song with under 1,000 plays on SoundCloud. It's hilarious how easy it is to go with the flow on YouTube and rise in the ranks. You're now making enough money to pay for the hospital bills as they come and slowly chip away the debt at the same time. You've received business requests from various companies asking to feature their products in your videos. You laugh them away because there's literally no way to fit a product placement into a Photoshop tutorial video. Things couldn't have gone better either way. You wake up on the day of your release. You packed up everything the night before so the room could be spick and span for when you leave. The minute you get home, you can start with the blogging. It's been five months since you came to the S-hole 
of the hospital and you couldn't be happier to get out. It is a miracle that you actually did something during your time as a vegetable. It wasn't much of a change from your daily lifestyle, excluding the broken bones. The nurse walks in with a clipboard. She always puts on a frown when she walks in your room. You've been so grouchy and ignorant towards her. After feeling bad for two seconds, you sign the papers and leave. Ironically, you take an Uber back home, which actually does exist. After unpacking a few of your clothes, you get your hospital set up ready for your house. It's a bit eerie considering that, that your fans are slowly encroaching into your neighborhood and soon street. Soon your only Hail Mary will be the fact that, you were 20, that there are 20 other people in your apartment building. You decide to make your first vlog at the zoo in homage to the first video ever posted on the website. You walk around the zoo, carefully positioning yourself in superb selfie lighting to give the editors good edit material. After you visit the sloth exhibit, you head home and edit the video. You put it on your brand new channel with brand new graphics and tell your Photoshop tutorial fans to head over and subscribe down below. The sheep migrate over to your vlog channel and their dumb reactions in the comments. Things that should have died in 2013, like Yas and Slay are thrown around with a few connections made from the original zoo video reference. Overall, the video was pretty successful and you begin to plan the next few vlogs. Within hours, hashtag Photoshop tutorial erroneous reveal is trending on Twitter and you hit 1 million subscribers on the main channel. When you drive to Carl's Jr. for your special coffee, you pass the zoo and see a large group of teenage girls on their phones as if they're waiting for something. When you get home, you realize your Twitter was already hacked and someone had made up that, they were, that there was going to be a meetup at the zoo for a follow-up vlog. Once again, mindless sheep. They aren't fans of you. They're fans of whatever they can get their hands on. And you just happen to design a fake internet personality and give it to them. After gaining your Twitter back, you get verified and once again trend. But now, with hashtag Photoshop tutorial erroneous verified. The next step to manipulating your audience is to act hurt from the hack attack and delete your old channel and take a three-hour break. It is a serious gouge in your income, but necessary in order to stay relevant. After all, you hate being a vlogger or YouTuber for that matter. You're only doing it to pay hospital bills. If you were a good person, you would actually care about your fans and the people who literally live for your videos. After the three hours of radio silence, there's been two fans. Okay, uh, interjection. Trigger warning. Didn't think we were going to be using that for this. Oh, okay. Um, after three hours of radio silence, there has been two fans who have killed themselves and several hashtags telling people to C-U-T for you. Since you've already paid off the bills and made an extra $200,000 in spare change, you deactivate your Twitter, delete every channel with your Google account, and withdraw all your money into your bank account. Whatever the fan base does now is out of your control. You may have blood on your hands, but you're so dead inside that you don't feel remorse. The internet lost its glamour at the end of 2014, so you cancel your internet and cellular data. If your family wants to contact you, they can call or text as always. The only times you have to deal with your internet footprint is when a small local news channel mentions in their ticker of irrelevancy that two suicides have been reported in correlation to the deactivation of a YouTuber's account. As well, when you picked up your fried coffee the next morning, you heard some Carl's Jr. employees chatting about how they were sad that Photoshop tutorial erroneous left so soon. The last three months of your stay in the United States consisted of binge purchases and watching cartoons. After those lazy months, you receive a letter from the Department of Immigration that basically said, pack your shit and leave. You follow 
their deportation instructions and pack your shit and leave. It is a long drive back to Vancouver and you feel a bit emotional. You didn't feel as dead inside during your months of luxurious living. You'll miss the palm trees and the lights when you drive down the Californian streets at night. The only thing you miss about Canada other than your mom were these amazing cheddar biscuits you got from the grocery store. They literally changed your life. You couldn't feel too emotional as you had to drive back with a border patrol office as he, officer as he deported you. When you got to the border, they told you that you were not permitted to re-enter or apply for a green card for another five years. If you really wanted to go back, you could just walk right in. There's barely any USA Canadian border fence or patrol. The Canadian border officers give you a nasty scowl, but they can't do anything, so you work up a huge grin right back at him. You stop at the grocery store and pick up a box of 50 biscuits. It'll be your homecoming meal, whether anyone joins you or not. You drive up to your apartment, building by the ocean. Your family used to be well off until the hospital. You put a check in the mail for your mom to cover the cost that she paid for. Your house is empty and seems to have a spider infestation. The walls are stiff, half-painted yellow. When your internship was accepted, you were in the middle of renovating your place. You were so excited that you just packed your things and got on the next plane to California. Now that you're the literal embodiment, now that you are in the literal embodiment of neglect, a sense of worthlessness comes on. You didn't realize that you had a good thing going, and you left it all for a cheesy pipe dream. You figure you can start to rebuild your old life by finishing painting. The only paint left is all dried up in the can, so you'll have to go to the fancy color match at the hardware store. You take the bus to the independent hardware store. It's a father-son-owned place named H&M Tools. You really hope they don't get sued. The store smells like mildew and is quite dim. For a hardware store, the lights need replacing and the windows are broken. You go to the paint counter that is manned by the father. You guess he's the H in the name. As you approach the table, you see his name. You see that his name tag says Manny. Damn. You give him a paint swatch and he lazily walks over to the machine that determines the shade. After a few minutes, he's made two cans of paint as per your request and tells you to pay for it at the main counter. You stop by the brush aisle and grab the biggest and smallest paintbrush they have. The cashier must be H. He's covered in acne and smells like ranch dressing. His name tag says Andrew. Who the hell is H? The total comes to $87.47. You understand why it's overpriced. With huge chain stores, it would be almost impossible to stay in business. You pay with your debit card, but it gets declined. You ask if you can try again, but the cashier is staring right at you, expressionless. You're that internet vlogger person. I was. Can I try my credit card? Can I get a selfie? Actually, no, I do videos too. Can you give me a shout out? I quit a while ago. Oh, right. You killed those people. Excuse me? I heard on Facebook that you killed two fans because they were stalking you. Props to you though. That would be a scary situation. Bitches be crazy. What the shit is this guy talking about? Was he dumb enough to fall for some TMZ clickbaiting? You should probably try to correct him and then leave. Listen, it wasn't my fault. Some fans committed suicide when I stopped making videos. I really wish they hadn't, but I refuse to let people think it was my fault. Are you calling me stupid? Can I play, pay credit, please? The kid hands you the credit card machine and you pay. You thank God your card wasn't declined and you grab your paint and leave. In a fit of rage, you tell the presumable owner in the paint section that the cashier has an extra chromosome. Okay. Um... Mm. You thought that you could get away from your little YouTube stint, but the butterfly effect seems to be unforgiving. Next chapter. Hunt. 
When you were a kid, the thought of being famous and recognized was exiting, and you wanted it so badly. You go 10 miles over the speed limit as you go home. The last thing you thought this channel would bring was murder accusations. You quickly hop over to a McDonald's and frantically ask if they can deep fry coffee. You then realize you weren't talking to your Carl's Jr.'s friend back in California. They laugh you out of the premise, but as you're leaving, you catch a glimpse of something even more disgusting than the food item you've ordered. The TV is set on CNN, and for a few moments, on the ticker, a caption reads, YouTuber, Photoshop tutorial Ronies, murders two fans in cold blood. You knew the media skewed things, but dear God, you never thought it would make you a murder suspect. An instant CSI state of mind set in. You go home for only five minutes and use the washroom. You haven't unpacked yet, so you can easily hit the road. Your, plane, your phone has 47 messages. They're mostly from your mom, but from friends too. They're all alarmed and overreacting. You never understood why falsely accused people always try to run away, so you drive straight to the nearest police station so you can try and work something out. You leave behind all social awkwardness to make this plan work. You're going to walk in and tell them you aren't guilty. You quickly understand why they don't go to the police in movies. For one thing, none of this actually happened in Canada, and for another thing, the police haven't even spoken to you. You really used to like CNN. You head back home from the police station parking lot, paranoia on alert. Every time your phone buzzes, you have a mini panic attack. This could be the one. It has only been a matter of days since you deactivated. The amount of time it would take for the police to get your face and download... Interjection. My foot is asleep. Ooh. Okay. Um, I'm in a lot of pain. Anyways. <laughs> um... Okay, wait, I need to go back page. It's only been a matter of days since you deactivated. The amount of time it would take for the police to take your face and download it from the video and cross-match it from the worldwide face database. And then they will collaborate with the Canadian authorities and track down your address and arrest your whole family and arrest you and put you on trial. And you will lose the trial and get sent back to the United States so you can receive the death penalty. And you'll ask for IKEA food as your last meal, but they won't give it to you. And then they stick the needle in your arm and you die and you realize you're overreacting, as always. You Netflix and chill with yourself until three in the morning with several cups of tea. There's literally no purpose or anything to look forward to for at least the next 10 years. You make it a personal challenge to watch, watch everything on Netflix. Everything. You promise that if you don't, you will watch the very last episode of Friends that you have saved while tied to a railway line. The next morning, you go to the pool and get kicked out for pouring red food coloring in the water. It turned half the pool red and was glorious. Since you have decided on a path of self-destruction, you head to downtown Vancouver for some tasty frozen yogurt. Immediately as you walk in, people stare and turn to their friends to gossip. You head over to the pumpkin spice-flavored yogurt dispenser and hold down the handle for a solid four and a half minutes. Death to pumpkin spice. The employee fetches his manager. A bald and sweaty man emerges from behind the machine and escorts you out of the building as well. You then go out, out to the park and cry for a few hours because you wasted perfectly good yogurt. The whole existence of one dairy cow is now in shambles. Its calf is without milk. You are a monster. There's a beautifully designed apartment complex by your house. It towers over the whole city, and you imagine what the penthouse must be like. The buzzer room has a fountain with koi fish and a plethora of cacti. You punch the shit out of the buzzer box, lighting up most of the buttons. You scream, somebody help me. There's a gunman outside. Please let me in. And after a few moments, the door unlocks. The elevator has a TV screen playing a Jets game for viewing material as it speeds up to the penthouse floor. Once you arrive, you rely on the generosity of Canadians to let you in. Of course they do when you explain 
slash lie to them about how you're walking down the street and someone opened fire at you. The second you're in, you scan the suite. It's all granite and mahogany. They have three Afghan dogs a bear p- and a bear pelt carpet. You locate an iron chair and throw it at the windows and surround the suit. It only makes a crap or er, a er, crack. They scream, what are you doing? I'm calling the cops. But you continue smashing the windows. Your main goal is to let the police find you in a state of confusion and madness that hopefully clears you from any charges. Maybe you will get a few months in a mental hospital. However, if you do actually jump out the window, that would be fine too. The police show up remarkably fast, but then again, you did tell the residents there was a gunman on the loose. The officers have their guns pointed at you as you bash the windows. They yell at you, drop the chair. Ooh, a chair. It could kill us all. This whole thing was probably a binge purchase at Pottery Barn and was made in Bangladesh by some callous-fingered 11-year-old. You drop the chair as per the police requests, and they handcuff you. They don't read you your rights, surprisingly. You're upset for a bit, but then remember you don't care. The drive to the station is relatively short, but you try and fill it with mannerisms that can definitely be used in court. You cry, scream, and repeat the number 13 the whole trip. When the car arrives, they take you out and you begin to hysterically cream or interjection scream, not cream 13 by God, 13. And you draw a bit of a crowd. The officers take you directly to a cell and you can overhear them calling you a nut job. It's working. You sing Katy Perry songs to really drive your point home. And soon enough, a man in a lab coat comes with a clipboard. He actually does what they do in movies. He holds up cards and asks you what they are and then asks you the last time you've had a drink or use any sort of drugs. You say drugs drugs are the metamorphosis of hell, and he surprisingly doesn't order a urine test. The night is long and boring. It sinks in that you've just gotten yourself in jail for sheer curiosity. The cot they provide you is as soft as asphalt, and you fall off at least four times. You wake up to the door to the cell room opening. There are three other prisoners in the cell room, one constantly telling you to stay the hell away from him. Another, still buzzed off of Molly, is crying into his hands. You haven't been able to see him until the guard that opened up the door released him. As he happily left the jail, you recognize him. Dr. YouTube? Medication. You haven't taken it in at least a week. The doctor said it would be life-threatening. At least you don't remember him saying it. In fact, there's a lot of things you don't remember. You can't recall what you were doing a month ago. You think it had something to do with gardening with your mom, but you don't know for sure. You went on your little hysterical stint yesterday to prove something, but it's all fuzzy. Then you remember you were wrongly accused of something. Your best guess is that you tried to steal a pair of shoes from Foot Locker. You always hated how they could get away with selling a $300 piece of rubber when it only took $3 to make. You always contemplated stealing a pair and then dumping it in the nearest trash bin, but would never go through with it. A few moments later, a guard comes in and escorts you from your cell to a small boardroom. There's a lawyer there they have provided for you. He has a goatee. You don't trust him. They say you are only charged with disturbing the peace and you're sentenced to pay $20,000. You drop the mental patient act and ask when the soonest you can pay it is. You know you're well off. You can't just remember how much you have right now. You're told to pay it by the end of the week or face prison and you're released. You aren't sure why you were acting psycho, but it doesn't matter now. You go to the drugstore to pick up 10 bottles of cough syrup with codeine and make lean with some Sprite you had lying around in your car. You drink it and drive to the beach where you plan to get tanned. Your motor skills are so slow that your vision is blurred. You look down and see that there's warm urine dripping from the seat. There are wrong way signs on the road, but the letters blend together to look like they're saying Wong Ya, and it makes you giggle. Soon after your giggle fit, you crash into a fire hydrant, but drive right away. You lightly hit some guy with a man bun too, but 
you didn't care, so you left as well. You think to yourself, death to the man buns, and smile. You eventually make it to the beach and pour some of your medication in with the lean and watch the sunrise. It's probably eight in the morning. There's a surprising lack of snow for a Canadian winter. You pass out from the drug concoction. You wake up in the same spot with foam at your mouth and an achy neck. You laugh at the thought of yourself having a seizure. You look behind your cozy seizure corner underneath the pier and see that your car is gone. You don't really care because you could easily buy a new one. You always saw a million dollars as a huge amount of money, but it's amazing the things that 200,000 can buy. There's this earworm song that you can't stop replaying in your head. You radically drive home to play it. You crash into your garage door and then go into the computer to log in. You know it is something by Adele, so you listen to every song she has ever made. You finally find Chasing Pavements and have a little jam sesh. You love it so much that you comment on it saying how the song changed your life. You weren't logged in for a second, but then it automatically logs you in. You don't recognize the account, so you click the top right corner and to your page. It says you have 2 million subscribers. At first you don't believe it, it must have redirected you to someone else's channel until you notice all the videos are of you. After playing them, you have an existential crisis. You cry, you scream, you, you, what about me? I'm the voice inside your head giving you a play-by-play of your sad existence. You seem to find it okay to live your life like this. I'm so disappointed in you. I hereby declare that I'm taking over your life. And don't think I'm ignoring you either, reader. You waited patiently for tips to try and make a YouTube career and followed all the steps. However, I have one last surprise step. You need a teaspoon of rice in. Now back to you, you pathetic mess. Quick, Quit crying over Adele. Get up and take your car out of the garage door. You need to drive to the greenhouse. You drive to the local greenhouse and buy a castor bean plant. You drive back home and park the car exactly in the garage door hole you made. I tell you how to bake the castor bean at 450 degrees for an hour in a glass bowl. There's now a liquid release from them. You eat it and die. (laughs) What? Okay, we're going to take a quick break. There's a bonus ending chapter after that. We're going to take a break. Oh my God. What? (laughs) What? Before we continue and wrap this up, I just want to say if you've made it this far. Wow. We really did it together. We really survived. I mean, this, this, this is just so much. I didn't expect that this much insanity to be in such a short book, but. Regardless, let's get to the end. This is bonus tip, patience. This whole fictional section of the book was to serve as an example of how patient you need to be to survive on the YouTubes. You just read nearly 40 pages, all leading up to a terrible fourth wall breakage and ending. If you made it this far, I'm super proud of you. Patience is in every sense of the term, a virtue when it comes to YouTube. You can spend thousands of dollars on things trying to get your channel rolling and end up getting two subscribers over the span of two years. It is literally an internet lottery. This final super chapter will show you how to stay calm without those cheesy keep calm and carry on posters that your mom's friend Patricia keeps posting. Much like the fictional example you just sat through, we're going to begin in California. This means you need to apply for an American citizenship or sneak in via Canada. I mean, what? Once you've entered the United States through totally legal methods, make your way down to Los Angeles and buy your residence using payment methods that contribute to, that don't contribute to the United States' tax 
or use Bitcoin or cash. Bitcoin and cash, you would never think of evading tax law. The following will be a day-by-day tutorial on how to achieve peace and patience. Did I say peace? Peace. (laughs) Day one. Today will be the start of your spiritual and religious experience. As you wake up into your new life, take a quick breath of fresh ocean air or polluted smog, depending on where in Los Angeles you purchased your residence. Look outside your window at the palm trees. They are swaying for you. Your seven-day journey begins today. Take a taxi to the Hollywood sign at 8 a.m. Look for the sign only for a brief moment, then break into a musical number as you run along, run along the mountainous landscape of Los Angeles. Feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. Only you can let it in. I'm probably going to get sued. Also, California doesn't rain. There's a good chance you will die of dehydration during the seven days, so buckle up. You're in the United States. Michelle Obama could be around any corner, and if she catches you without having at least seven cups of water a day, there will be hell to pay. Go for lunch at Pinkberry. Since popular YouTubers are somehow morphing into celebrities, your diet will soon consist of a dollop of frozen yogurt and a single gummy bear. Try and time your lunch with celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner. If you do end up eating at the same Pinkberry, get the paparazzi's attention and then look like you're a part of Kim K's entourage. As seen in previous chapters, connections are vital. After your Pinkberry meal, go to a soul cycle class around 2.15 p.m. Each class is approximately $10,000 per half hour, but their financing options are quite flexible. Around the end of the class, the instructor usually pulls a fresh placenta from the mini fridge in the corner of the room. You may also grab a placenta or a Fiji water to hydrate. If you get Apollo as an instructor, he should begin to chant Nairobi tribal chants while wiping his face with the mini fridge placenta. You may choose to follow his instruction or you may eat it. It's a privilege that SoulCycle provides you with placentas, so I suggest making the most out of them. The vegetarian option is to hollow out the placenta and use it as an iPhone 6 and 6S case. After SoulCycle, you're officially a Californian. In two to four business days, you will receive a certificate of completion from Arnold Schwarzenegger by UPS. Head home and head, head home with an Uber. The price to drive from Hollywood to your flat will probably be probably be in the thousands, but you'll be able to Instagram yourself in an Uber, and that's pretty much the only reason why people take Ubers. Stop by an IKEA and buy some cacti that would probably be popular on Tumblr about a year ago, but are now just an ordinary plant. Place them around your house, anyways. Instead of eating dinner, eat some cotton balls with a little bit of sriracha sauce. You will probably end your night from passing out from hydration. Sweet dreams. Day two. To find peace, you must first realize what you have to lose. Begin your day at 7 a.m. by playing Grand Theft Auto 5 to get a good idea of how to get around town. Your main object for today is to get into a car accident so that you have to have a moment of realization and find some peace. Since you are na- since you now know your way around Los Santos, you basically know your way around Los Angeles. The buildup for your moment of realization will have to be very particular, so you have to follow this guide exactly. This day will be the most expensive, so you will need $1,000. Start by booking a Hollywood tour bus just for yourself. The phone operator that you book it will most likely tell you that they don't do private events. You must scream, listen, buddy, I have terminal influenza and I don't got none time left. I need you to help me out one last time into the phone. Nine out of 10 times, the operator will hesitate and then accept. Ask to book it for 8 p.m. sharp. Once you finish the booking process, head over to the nearest beach or motel pool, put on your headphones in and listen to the entire discography of Lana Del Rey starting with West Coast. After you pass out from pure euphoria underneath the California palm trees, it should be around 2 p.m. Go for an afternoon snack at Taco Bell. 
since you're in California and that's where Taco Bell headquarters are, go to their flagship restaurant in their headquarters. Even if you just get a Coke, you will still get raging diarrhea and possibly even food poisoning. So you're going to need to schedule a solid three hours in between Taco Bell and your Hollywood tour adventure. You may end up puking up a lung. If this happens to you, do not call 911. Your fight is over. There's nothing you can do. Please close this book so you don't get lung on it. However, if you only threw up a ton, you can probably head over to the tour office. You won't need any equipment for this heist except for your strong wit, will, and fists. Depending on which tour company you bought it with, you may drive in a limo through Hollywood. However, in this case, you should want to choose the cheapest tour company possible. If you select a low-cost tour company, they'll most likely drive through Compton, which you can use to your advantage. After reading this perfectly timed sentence, it should be time to join the tour. Board the bus and enjoy the trip until 32 minutes have elapsed. At this point, you should just be passing Brad Pitt's mansion. As a tour guide says, fun fact, this is where Brad Pitt disposed of his adopted East Asian children when they acted up. Throw him out of a bus and take the van over. If you drove through Compton to get there, he will have no chance of survival, making it easier for you to carry on the rest of the heist. Drive the van through Brad Pitt's multiple security walls until the van crashes into his house. It will be thrown through the windshield and the spiritual experience will begin. You may black out for a second, but you will wake up to Angelina Jolie running out with four adopted children in her arms. She will gasp and cry, oh my god, are you alright? Do you want my child? He's a very good listener. You shouldn't accept the child, but rather ask for $2 million. After she gives it to you in a giant bag, call for an Uber and go home. You don't have enough money to fund the next 12 days of your spiritual experience. Then, when you get home, buy all those things on vat19.com and thinkgeek.com that you could never afford. Pick same-day shipping just because you can. Within 24 hours, you'll be munching on a six-foot-long gummy worm. Day 3. You will awake to the UPS guy at your door. Thanks to the beauty of mail, your gummy worm is here. Accept the parcel and make him a paper medal, awarding him for being a key component in the mail machine. Tell him that the mail system would not be able to function if it weren't for his undying support. He may shed a tear, so you should quickly wisp it away with your pinky finger. Once you leave, savagely open up your parcel and consume your gummy worm. You're going to have a super lazy day. Today, you will bask in the lifestyle of California nerds. Instead of going outside, play Grand Theft Auto 5 and play pretend. After playing video games all morning, try make a latte all by yourself, the fancy ones with the cream leaf. Go to the nearest 7-Eleven and buy instant coffee and 1% cream. Head home and wash your hands so you don't contaminate the latte. All you have to do is add water to the instant coffee and then get ready for the cream leaf. Since there's no humanly way possible to make good cream leaf, throw the cup on the ground and punch a hole in the wall. Unleash your anger by fiercely mopping the spilled instant coffee with failed cream leaf. Who knew that getting your anger out could be so productive? Once you finish cleaning up your terrible beverage, you're going to go on what I call a thinking experience. Look down at the cream you have spilled. It's time to cry over spilled milk. Think of the starving baby calf that is milkless and motherless so that the cream that sat on in a 7-Eleven for a month could be spilled on a linoleum floor. Think of how cold the poor calf is. Go to the bathtub and curl up in some freezing cold water. You and the baby calf are one now. It's time to cry over spilled milk. Congratulations, you just had your first thinking experience. There'll be many more to come. Look at you, you're soaked. Did I tell you to curl up in the bathtub fully clothed? No, this book doesn't lay out the ground rules of common sense. Ugh, go dry off in the afternoon Los Angeles sun, clothed. Once you're dry, head back inside. Tomorrow will be a day of physical exertion and exercise. You're gonna experience the metamorphosis into a biker. The only time it's socially acceptable to be a, is a, <laughs> 
The only time it is socially acceptable to be a biker is when you have trails that go through the scenic Los Angeles mountains. Any other circumstances are completely unnecessary and inconsiderate, especially the people who bike as a sport. Who do they think they are with their spandex and midlife crisis years? End your night by emerging from the safety and comfort to the streets. Head to your nearest Greyhound bus station and take a midnight bus ride to Portland. You should get there around 8 a.m. the next day, but since that is the next day, day four. You're only going to spend a few hours in Portland, so you should make it count. Go to Bed Bath & Beyond and pick up a set of kitchen knives. Once you have these, take the biggest utensil and go around popping as many bike tires as possible. Hide in the bushes and watch the bikers that see their $30,000 Italian bike tires may have been ruptured in pure glee. After your popping rampage, take the bus back to LA. You should arrive around noon. Once again, go to Pinkberry for your celebrity yogurt diet. This time, consider getting nothing but the cup and then filling it with black water for no nutritional value other than getting another Kim K paparazzi picture. You probably thought your bike adventure was going to involve riding. Ha, huh, I don't hate you or myself. You already had your bike experience, and since you were up all night, you probably should have hit the hay. Knock yourself out with Zequel and have a great sleep. Day 5. So you're going to do a little giving back to the community. After being in the Kim K photos, you're basically a YouTube celebrity. With this newfound fame, you're going to take over a priest job and baptize babies. There should be a Church of Scientology near you. After all, it is Los Angeles. Only a few locations do baptisms, and you're going to be a holy father today. They're usually organized in the wee hours of the morning, so you'll have to wake up early. Take public transport to the bridge, or to the church. Bring nothing but your free spirit and positive attitude. When you arrive at the premises, enter through the back door. You'll be in the priest's dressing room. Swiftly, swiftly hop into his attire and begin the mass. As per any side, any... Ugh. As per any Scientology gathering, begin with a prayer in Latin towards Ron L. Hubbard. Bless him for brainwashing everyone in the room. They are so out of it they won't even notice. After the opening prayer, grab as many babies as you can and just kind of drop them in the water. After a few seconds, take them out and return them to their respective parents. The paparazzi will most likely be outside the church, so dress back into your regular clothes and serve up some made looks. Paparazzi may have only been there because Tom Cruise was there as well, but it can still be an effective ego boost. It should be around lunchtime, and today you're going to have lunch without a large ecological footprint. You're going to go in the Californian backcountry and scavenge for berries and tree nuts. Today, you're going raw vegan. This means the food you gather cannot be a result of any animal suffrage and cannot be cooked. You're doing this without any cars or fossil fuels, so you'll need to walk into the desert. When you get there, you may notice there isn't much foliage and an extremely wasteful, rich suburb in the distance. Go to the 10-foot high security fence and just take a huge steamy shit on it. You can scream at them. You can scream at them a bit, but either way, you should leave the premises immediately. The main food item you're looking for is an orange tree. You can tell it's an orange tree by the orange oranges on it. The point of the scavenging experience is to learn that there's literally no way to survive by just eating raw vegan. Now leave and head over to KFC to get a double-down sandwich. Hip hip hooray for capitalism! As you enjoy your breaded chicken sandwich surrounded by breaded chicken, we are going to do another thinking experience. Somewhere in Chicagoland right now, there's a line of 200,000 chickens in a factory farm. They're being restrained by a cuff around their neck. Focus on one. His name is Henry. He's far down the line from the execution point, but is still imminent. A mile down the factory farm line is a small blade that is slitting the chickens' throats as they go by just so they can end up in your KFC concoction. As he is pulled down the line, he thinks of his short life. All he has ever seen is murder machines. This concludes your thinking experience. Now go cry on the floor of the KFC. The manager may come out and tell you to leave the establishment. Respond with a swift, fury punch to the neck and run. Go home and then sleep immediately. Day six. 
Today's the day to live like a rich bastard. Today you're going to convince someone who lives in a five garage house to let you in and eat appetizer platters. This will not be too complicated of a job. Much like the Brad Pitt heist, we're going to deceive someone rich into incorporating you into their lavish lifestyle. Begin the day by wandering through rich suburbs in the mountains. All you need to do is scream, Donald Trump looks like a fish, and the rich Republicans will burst out of the seams. As the angry mob nears towards you, say, I meant Donald Trump looks like a super cool dude, and the mob will instantly befriend you. Much like sperm trying to fertilize an egg, eventually one will claim you and carry you into their house. A conversation will most likely begin with the Trump supporter. No matter what your political views are, just play along. You can probably say anything to about Donald Trump and they will praise you. They may ask you if you want a tour of their house, but politely decline. You don't need to see their overcompensating race cars and motorbikes. After a few minutes, the rich Republican will invite you to his poolside patio for afternoon sherry and appetizers. You have completed your journey for today. Relax at the pool and enjoy caviar stuffed shiitake mushrooms and black parmesan. Black parmesan isn't even a naturally occurring cheese. All they do is pour black food coloring on store-bought parmesan cheese and then hike up the price by a thousand percent. You can literally make Shrek parmesan or blood parmesan. In disgust, throw the sharing to the rich person's face with a ugh. Storm out of the unnecessarily large house. The mob may still be outside, so you'll have to send them away by yelling, Donald Trump is a pretty mediocre guy, and the crowd will disperse with a grumpy murmur. After your semi-enjoyable appetizer experience, head home. It's been a long and glamorous day for you, I'm sure. Go to bed at 2pm like a typical celebrity. Day 7. By the end of this day, you'll be done with your spiritual experience to find patience. You want to make the most out of the remaining hours, so today you're going to let loose and be free. California has a wild sele- has a wide selection of biker gangs to join. Most have a very long acceptance period, so you're going to have to make your own. The first thing you need is a name. This is the least important, but the final result should sound like a serial variety. Now that you have blank O's, you'll need a gang emblem. This is fairly easy. You don't have to worry about if you're a creative type. Take your pick of any interstate highway and put and, and drive along until you see roadkill. Once one is spotted, pull over with your danger lights on. Safety is important, and you don't want to end up like this guy. Do a quick morning session for whatever the smear used to be. Thank it for its contr- contribution to nature and beauty, and then take a picture of it. Drive back home on, drive back home on the interstate with a new respect for life. When you get home, trace the image of whatever animal you found. In no time, you will have your gang emblem. If you take a JPEG copy of the emblem to a tailor, they will put it on a jacket of your choice and you will officially have a gang. You don't actually need motorcycles for a motorcycle gang. Just a strong and fun attitude. Go treat yourself to a nice brunch at a Twin Peak restaurant. If you get caught in the middle of a gang war, it's totally fine. You'll probably just get shot and that's the end. Conclusion. If you legitimately just sat the last chapter without expecting that I would do the same thing again without losing your marbles, you've done it. Congratulations. You've mastered the art of patience. You can truly become a glorious YouTuber now. There will be a certificate of completion at the end of this book for you to screenshot, tear out, or even burn if you so choose. Just kidding. What do I look like? The goddamn Nobel Nobel Peace Prize people? In all honesty, I just want to thank you for reading this book. It started off as an inside joke to myself to make fun of all the YouTubers who just randomly decided, hey, I have no talent or experience in writing at all, but my fans will buy whatever I put out. I'm the same. I write as good as a mute amputee. However, I'm pleased with myself and the fact that I actually wrote a book, which was something I had wanted to do for a while. Thank you if you're reading this book for free online, and thank you if you bought a physical copy of this too. I didn't make any money off of this because it's expensive as hell to actually put together a paper book thing, and in all honesty, I would feel guilty for charging people money to read this. I'm probably writing this to myself. 
I'm probably writing this to myself at a point considering most of the readers probably put it away in their bookshelf after the whole fictional part. Anyways, I finished a book and can learn from this to never make books again. If you legitimately want to become a YouTuber, do it. The chances of it are taking... The chances of... Oh my god. What is in my eyeball? Ow. The chances are slim of it taking off. I know this because mine is never taking off, but I'm okay with that. Don't do it for the money and fame because there is none. Do it to vent or rant or show off and review candles if you want. The truth of the matter is YouTube is a dying platform. Many things cause this, such as too many YouTubers in general, super YouTubers such as PewDiePie, and the cold hard fact that nothing lasts forever, even a multi-billion dollar website. It'd be wiser to invest your time into an outlet that's growing, like acting, writing, and video game design. There's a reason why YouTubers are getting book and TV deals. They're trying to cash in their fans for opportunities so that they don't go down with their sinking YouTube ship. I don't know if it's just me, but I have noticed that there's been a general trend of people leaving the internet. 2010 was a great year for it, but things just grew too fast. Now we're stuck here with every possible internet experience already experienced. There's nothing really more to make videos about. I obviously will continue to because my friends will yell at me if I stop, but maybe it's not a good time to start. I would love to end this book on a high note, but there really isn't any high notes left for YouTube. Go put your time into yourself. Open a burrito shop. Make a TV show about cats. Don't write yet another vlogger's book. I did that. Let's, um, let's discuss that. <laughs> so, so most of that book is supposed to be fictional. It's supposed to be satirical. So anything in there that like pissed you off that first of all, I was 14. So didn't really understand. I mean, I don't know. Didn't really have a working brain as you can tell from that book, but also it's supposed to be fictional. That's, that's not like the point of view of me that is it it's fictional um i don't remember it being that crazy in scale like that that had scale to it for no reason like why was there four different like full on stories with like different plot lines oh my god oh my gosh some more context for this um me and my friends uh we went to this comic-con and we met this writer who just like really inspired us like like write books and so me and my friend we would like for a few days throughout the week we would like go to starbucks and just like type away at our, our books i don't know what if they ever finished their book i don't think they did but i let me talk about like um kind of the whole non-fiction part of it, where I'm talking about like my YouTube channel, that was all very pessimistic. And it's so weird to look at that now, where now I'm like doing YouTube and it's like, I don't want to say my job, ew, shut up, ew, gross. But like, it's so crazy. Like I fully thought, like I literally wrote a whole book about how I'm never going to be able to become a successful YouTuber or anything like that. Literally a hundred pages. This took six months to write. Literally six months to write. I'll f it, it's crazy. It's ri 
I, I guess I always kind of forgot that I like had that level, not that level of creativity, but like that I could just come up with like random like ideas like that. Even as young as like 14, like that kind of blows my mind. Because it, it's, it feels so similar to like how my TikToks are, how it's just like one thing to the other and it doesn't really make sense, but it's like a crazy little story. Um, so it's like really weird to see that. But it's also so weird to just physically feel like this book. Like what? Like I really wrote that. And that was like during school. Like I would do school and then I'd like go and write a book. This is <laughs> that it's really crazy. Like what having no friends will do and getting no bitches. That's what happens. You write that, but um, wouldn't have it any other way. I'm I'm proud that I was able to do that, even though it's like riddled with spelling errors. Y'all, the amount of times I would like stumble on my words, it's because the grammar would like make no sense or there'd be spelling errors. Like, sorry, there were so many ma- like mispronunciations. But anyways, this is the longest podcast episode I've ever done. So we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to read it or you read or want to read along, um, it's linked in the description. Um, oh my God, I thought I had something in my teeth, but it was just dust on my screen. Gang, gang. Okay. Um, I'll see you guys next week. We'll be back to a regular setup. We won't be doing my literal laptop webcam unless I get snowed in for the rest of my life. And then I can't leave. I love you all so much. I will see you next week. Take care. Better the week. It's chill. <laughs>